0: to see all of you here, and some of you, you are here for the very first time. If you are here for the first time, we want to extend a very special welcome to you. Uh, We hope you enjoy worshiping with us. We're actually going to be serving lunch later, and if this is your first time, we we want you to be able to stay with your family for lunch. So uh, right after service, if you don't mind just going outside, we're going to give you a a little meal voucher. So uh, for the rest of you, uh, you know the drill, uh, $5. But for you, if you're your first, second time here, get a meal voucher. Lunch is on us. Enjoy the food. Enjoy the company. And hopefully uh, you will continue worshiping with us. Um, Yeah, it's exciting, isn't it? Happy Easter. We had 17 people get baptized this morning. Yeah, very, very exciting. Uh, We weren't sure we were going to make it through all of them, but we we did. Uh, Some of them took a little longer to come back up, but everybody survived. So uh, praise the Lord. 12 of them gave their testimonies this morning Uh, because we had so many people get baptized we actually had to split up the testimonies so we're going to have three testimonies given during this service and then two uh, during the next so we're going to have esther jason and kaya they're going to come up and they're going to share their testimonies and then when they're done we're going to continue on worshiping god all right so esther why don't you come on up
1: Easter. Happy Easter. Okay, I'm not going to play around with that, sorry. Um, if you can hear me, that's great. Um, so, my name is Esther, and I've been coming to Hawk 5 for the past eight months. Um, and this is just the story of how I recommitted my life back to Christ. So, um, I grew up in a Christian home. and my family would go to church every week, and I was actually baptized as an infant. Um, I learned all the Bible stories, um, and I was taught that God loved me and sent his son to die on the cross for me, and for most of my childhood, I never questioned that, and I believed this to be the truth. Um, at the same time, I knew that in my heart, there was a big component that was missing that I couldn't quite understand. Uh, it wasn't until college when I joined a church fellowship that I first Heard about having a personal relationship with God and what that would look like. Um, That's when I finally realized that there was the peace I was missing this entire time. And all those years, um, when I was told growing up that um, he loved me, now had a whole new meaning and context. Um, I realized I was walking aimlessly looking for him, but he was there the entire time. Um, He was just walking beside me. And over the next three years, I continued to develop this relationship, and I was growing in my faith through Bible study, church, and community. Um, the biggest hurdle came when I actually left to study abroad in 2012, and for the first time, I experienced life without God at all, without any Christian community or fellowship, a church, scripture, prayer, um, and things began to spiral down pretty fast. Um, life abroad on the surface seemed very blissful. Um, I had a picture-perfect caring family and adventurous friends that were open to trying everything and anything that I just placed God on the side. Um, I did not even want to think about him because I did not want this bubble to burst. Um, And once returning, um, reality definitely hit me. Um, So my father had a stroke in 2012 and um, his health was declining pretty fast and that put a really big strain on my relationship with my parents. And um, because of the strained relationship, I was quite confused and frustrated and bitter, and even decided, um, at my lowest point, that I was probably just being punished for neglecting ne- neglecting God, excuse me. Um, not too long after returning, um, I returned back to um, I returned back to my classes at, at UCSD, and. Um, and um, a, friend, a, a friend from church had noticed that there was something different about me um, and she asked to study together actually at the library, so if you've been to UCSD there's a Geisel library, it looks kind of like a spaceship, so um, she asked to study together um, and we just started talking and um, I kind of vaguely explained my situation, that I felt um, angry and bitter that you know my life here is um, not going the way I wanted to and there was a lot of struggles and um, and and yeah, that may, that maybe I just wasn't meant to just follow Christ anymore. That it just wasn't working. And um, the interesting thing was, through this entire time, I had just assumed that you know I was being punished by God. And um, she had asked me, she asked me during our conversation if I had ever spoken to God directly about my struggles, which I didn't. I just assumed that I was being punished. Um, and I think that's when it kind of clicked in my head. Oh wow! Like this entire time um, God was open to hearing me. And yet I, I didn't even give him a chance. I just assumed things. And so she encouraged um, me to let him know. And I was probably the only person on that sixth floor that decided to vent out my frustrations at God, (laughs) um, in the library. And, um, and yeah, so I sat there and, um, I was telling God, um, how I was feeling that I was angry and, um, and I was asking him, why, why, why would he do this to me? Why is, he, um, why is he bringing this kind of struggle in my life? And even before I can even get an answer, I, um, something in my heart was definitely working. And I felt this overwhelming feeling of comfort and love. It's um, not something I can, you can't see it, but it's definitely something I really felt in my heart. And I knew that it was from him. And I think that's when I just re- realized that I just need to surrender everything to him and um even though i knew that he was my personal lord and savior it was at that point when i realized that i had i had not given him all the control and um i still was holding on to things in my life what um what i um, what i deemed to be perfect what i deemed to um aspire and all my desires and i had not really given that to him and so um after kind of having that um conversation with god and really feeling his presence um i um I asked my friend who was sitting next to me for her Bible, and um, when I opened it, it turned to Galatians 2.20, um, which is perfect. <laughs> it says, um, I have been crucified with Christ, um, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And um, since that day, um, sorry, going back, so that's actually when I decided to kind of recommit my life to him. Um, realizing that there are still um, things I was holding on to that I did not quite give to him. Um, and since then there are still challenges and there are still struggles. but the biggest thing I've learned from that day is um, what it means to trust in God completely and what it means to how my little faith can still um, my little faith can still bring um, so much joy um, and that God um, despite all my um, despite who I am and being a sinner, that he is so gracious and good to me. And um, you might be wondering, you know, why weren't you baptized earlier? You probably had opportunities in college. But um, because I was baptized as an infant, it didn't really occur to me to be baptized as an adult. Um, And I knew I was saved. But um, it was actually during um, the membership class that Pastor Dean mentioned, like, "Oh, what do you think about baptism?" And I said, "Oh, I never had. I never really thought about it because I knew I was. Back, I knew I believed in God, and I knew that He died for my sins, um, and I knew that I was baptized as an infant. But thinking about it the past couple weeks and reflecting on it, I knew that there is." Um, God has a timing for all things, and I think it was right here at this moment with the community that I have that it was meant to be. So I'm really grateful for all of you, and thank you so much for all your support and your encouragement. And yeah, happy Easter.
2: <laughs> my name is Jason. Um, I'm in sixth grade, and this is my life story with God. So as a baby, I went to church with my parents and I crawled around in the nursery room sucking my thumb. I could have grown up with those kids and gone to Sunday school. But unfortunately, my parents soon stopped taking me to church for reasons I don't understand. So I lost that piece of memory and I never truly knew God. For about 10 years, I was occupied with stuff that was going on in my own life as a child, such as school, from time to time, we would drive by a church, which made me, and I would look at the cross and think, what's the church like? And during this time, my parents talked to me about God. One day, my mom explained in detail what made her want to know God. In college, her philosophy pres- professor cited from a Bible, God says, I am the Alpha and I am the Omega, from Revelations 22:13. This inspired her to think and eventually believe that God is the beginning and the end. And the beginning of my relationship with God happened one night when he spoke to me. God reached out to me, and he made me feel comfortable. He told me to pray to him when I felt sad or lonely. I knew that it was him who was talking to me, so I accepted God, and he taught me his grace. I started praying every night, and I let him save me so I became spiritually alive. Soon I started coming back to church, and I felt that Home of Christ Five welcomed me, so I have become a member. Now I want to continue to grow in my faith, so I have gotten baptized. I realized that being a Christian isn't just about believing in God or just having faith. It's about truly understanding Him and letting Him save you. Whenever I needed comfort or help, He always reassured me, and I've still sinned since he reached out to me, but I learned that no matter what happens, God will always love me and his grace is never ending. Thank you. Happy Easter.
3: Like this? Okay. So, um, hello, my name is Kaya. This is a story of how I became a Christian. As a young child, I hit the jackpot on a whole bunch of unlucky things. I had really bad asthma and a ton of allergies to everything from cats to carrots. And not just a few sniffles and rashes, my allergies were so severe I could die from a bad reaction. My life was crazy and chaotic. I spent much of my time thinking about death or worrying about one thing or another. Even everyday tasks that most people wouldn't even think twice about, like eating a meal or taking a shower, were hard for me because of my severe anxiety. My fear of death began on an ordinary day when my relatives brought over their new dog. On that day, I was playing with my grandma in my living room. She was showing me funny pictures of my mom as a girl in a sparkling green tutu. Suddenly, I felt a searing bolt of pain shoot up my body. My head was clamped between the dog's jaws, and then I saw nothing. When the lights turned back on, I was curled up in my mom's lap in the corner of the room. She carefully inspected me for wounds. Her hands were shaking. There was blood everywhere. Someone shouted that my grandpa was hurt. I was hurt, too. It was complete and total chaos. The next thing I knew, I was in the emergency room. Two surgeons worked to reattach and reconstruct my torn ears, stitching me back together. I heard my mom and dad's voices whisper over and over that I would be all right. But I wasn't all right. I was afraid of dying. If a scary dog belonging to people I trusted hurt me, then how could I trust anyone? How close was I to dying? If the dog had taken just one more bite, he would have got to my throat and I might have not made it. My parents told me about a God who loved me and protected me, but if something like this happened in my own home, my safe place, then how could there possibly be a God at all? I hated dogs. I vowed to never own or touch a dog again, with the exception of my own dog, Maya. Everything changed after that dog attack. I lived in fear of dying. My life would never go back to normal. It couldn't possibly, but then slowly it did. By the grace of God, it finally did. One night when my mom came into my room for our daily bedtime tuck-in, she asked if I wanted to accept Jesus as my Lord and Savior. I knew I needed a rescuer, a Savior. And after everything that happened, it showed me that there really was a God out there who always protects me. It showed me Jesus' death on the cross gave me life so I didn't have to fear death anymore. He had already conquered it forever. So immediately I said yes. Together we prayed and I repented of my sins and asked Jesus into my heart. Now that I've become a Christian, my fear of death has been taken away. My dad puts it this way, you're invincible and unstoppable until Jesus takes you home. I'm still scared of the fact that dying probably hurts, but now I can look forward to the future hope of heaven instead of being so stuck on the past. Jesus conquered death and that gives and that truth gives my new life hope. Thank you and have a great Easter. Okay. Well
0: happy Easter everyone. Um, wonderful testimonies. It's a proud moment, I think, for, for all the parents who have never been on this side of the, <laughs> this side of the testimony to, to uh, witness your own child uh, share their faith. But I'm so happy for all of them, including my own daughter, Kaya. So typically on Easter, we, we, we have a message that talks about uh, the risen Savior, right? The, the risen Jesus Christ. And, and that's what Easter is all about. Easter is about the fact that as believers, we do not have to be scared of death. As believers, we know that our Savior has conquered sin, has conquered death, and has given us life and hope. Today, though, I'm going to veer a little bit away from the traditional Easter message, and I want to share with you perhaps the most important aspect of what I think Easter brings to us, the the meaning behind the story of the cross. And and this is a, a story that maybe some of you have heard before. This is Good news for some, but but I, I want to suggest this is the greatest news you will ever hear. And if you don't normally come to church, this is news that will change your life if you allow it to change your life. If this is a, a day that you got baptized and you're you're so excited, you're beginning your journey of faith. This is news that you should set as your guiding star, the principle of how you're going to live the rest of your life by faith. And for some of us here. Uh, You grew up in church, and you've heard this story many times, again and again. But even as old as it is, it's a story that continues to change even my life, and I know it'll change your life is the greatest news of easter so let me pray and we're going to get started in in today's message okay so will you pray with me Heavenly me father we are so thankful god that you are a god that is still alive you're a god that is still at work and we hear the stories of how you are transforming individuals how you're drawing people close to you how you're giving people hope and you're giving people life and you're giving people purpose and god we know you can still do that and so father we pray that even now as we look at your word lord would you remind us of this great news that we have pray these things in your son's name amen so today's passage comes from romans chapter 4 verse 5 we're, we're going to be only looking at a couple verses here romans chapter 4 verse 5 says and to the one who does not work but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith or her faith is counted as righteousness to so the one who does not work but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. This word justify, it's a word that we use oftentimes in our, in our daily lives. It, but it's not the same way that the Bible uses the word. When we use the word justified, you might use it when you're pulled over because you're speeding on the freeway and the policeman comes to your window and says, excuse me, why are you going 80 miles an hour on, in a 65 mile per hour a freeway you say, well, you know, I'm late to my appointment, so I, you know I feel justified in speeding. It's a way that we explain away the things that we do, right or or we, we, we say it this way, I feel justified to stretch the truth a little because I get overlooked often. It's a way we justify our bad behavior. And what we're saying is we're, we're trying to give reason to show that somehow, We are right. But when the Bible uses this term justifies, now this is so important because this is what the great news hinges on. When the Bible uses the word justifies, it means to declare righteous, to make one right with God or to be in a right relationship with God. And when the Bible says, when God says, I justify this person, he's saying, you are all right by me. You are fit to be in a relationship with me. You are fit to be in my kingdom, in the kingdom of heaven. And when the Bible says God justifies, he's saying God allows them to be in his presence. Now the rest of this verse, it gives the characteristics of those that God justifies. And this is why the gospel is such crazy news, because this list might surprise some of us. This list goes on to show uh, just how absurd the gospel truly is, just how crazy the gospel truly is. It shows how different God is to the way that we think. So the first characteristics of those whom God justifies, God justifies the ungodly. God justifies the ungodly. It's kind of weird because we think, well, God should only justify the good people, but scripture tells us that God justifies the the ungodly. If you continue reading in, in Romans chapter five verse six, it says, "While we were still weak, at the right time Christ died." Notice what it says. It doesn't say Christ died for the churchgoers. It doesn't say Christ died for those people who live respectable lives who has no criminal record. It says Christ dies for the ungodly. So let me just emphasize what Scripture here is saying. God doesn't justify good people. God doesn't justify churchgoers. God doesn't justify Bible readers or preachers. He doesn't justify those who give offering. He doesn't justify those who go to Owana or VBS or those who lead a snow retreat. He doesn't justify the Baptists, the Methodists, the Episcopalians. He doesn't justify the ones who sing or the ones who don't sing. God justifies the ungodly. Now, let that sink in because you will never have a relationship with God. You will never have a right relationship with God until you realize that God justifies the ungodly. It's not based on your church attendance that makes you right. It's not based on how good you live your life. It's not based on how much you read from the Bible or how spiritual you are, your parents are at least according to the Bible, the only people that God justifies, the only people that God says, you are all right by me, are those who are ungodly. Now, this word ungodly, it's an odd word because we don't really, we don't go around and, you know, it's not like a normal name calling word. We're like, oh, you're so ungodly. It's a word that we we don't use uh, much. Merriam-Webster defines it as a person who is irreligious or immoral. But scripture uh, tells us that it means more than that. It means a person who has no reverence for God. A person who has no reverence, no desire to worship God. A person who doesn't love God or doesn't love the things of God. A person who, who could care less about God's word or God's commands or, or he stands opposed to the things that God says or does. Maybe a good illustration for this is sometimes we'll use the term, you know, that person or, or that thing. That, that's un-American, Right, we, we we look at we look at certain groups and we say, well, well, they're just unAmerican. And when we say someone is unAmerican, we're not saying, well, you know, they're from China, right they're I mean, technically, that's that's unAmerican, right? But we're we're not saying, oh, they're from China or they're from Taiwan or Hong Kong or wherever. We're we're saying they are opposed to the things that this country stands for. They are opposed to the principles. They are opposed to the values uh, that this government stands for. And in that sense. They are un-American. Sometimes I read stories of Americans. This is kind of interesting. I don't know if you you find this odd, but you read stories of Americans or maybe uh, Canadians who, who run away and they join ISIS right? You, you, you read stories and you're like, what was this guy thinking? Like, wh- what was it about this country that they hated so much that they're going to join an organization that, you know, sole purpose is to destroy the foundations of what this government stands for. And it's not like, oh, it happened by accident. One day they woke up and they say, oh, I got on the bus and it took me to ISIS. No, they, they intentionally decided to join a group of people that are opposed to the values of this country and we'll say that person and that group they are enemies of america they are un-american and in a very similar way the bible tells us every single one of us we are enemies of god we oppose god we oppose the things that god stands for the bible doesn't mince words right the bible tells us very clearly for while we were enemies of God. We are reconciled to God by the death of his son. Much more now that we are reconciled shall we be saved by his life. The Bible teaches that every single person that is born is born as an enemy combatant towards God. God says love your neighbor. We hardly even know our neighbor much less love them. God says don't steal. Maybe we steal just a little bit here. Or maybe we steal someone else's credit or someone else's homework. Maybe it's someone else's time. Most of you guys just finished your taxes. Maybe it's a little bit under-reporting or over-deducting of your taxes. Oh, that that was a little close at home, right? Okay, we'll, we'll move on from the taxes. God says, honor your parents, and we don't. We know we're supposed to be pure. We know we're supposed to be honest. We know we're supposed to be truthful, but we're not we lie and we cheat and we do the things that we know is wrong and i'm not standing here judging and condemning because this is me right this is the story of my life this is the story of all humanity's life we are all enemies of god we all do things that we know is not right yet we do it anyway some of you guys heard recently there's this uh, huge college scandal going on yeah Uh, and some people have been caught some very famous people many people have been caught but some very famous people have been caught and and you're reading this this scandal you're like oh my goodness i can't believe the nerve of those parents paying these universities tens of thousands hundreds of thousands of dollars to get their children into that you know those those liars those cheaters and I'm reading this, and I'm like as in, indignant as the next parent because I want my kids to go to college, but I know I can't afford that. And I'm like, oh my goodness, those people, I can't believe that. But there's a part of me that says, if I had the money, honestly, if I had that money, I'd, I'd probably do it too. And, and I think we do it in, in lots of different ways. We, we do it uh, by, by stretching the truth a little. We do it by, by saying uh, we've done things that we, we really hadn't. We cheat in small ways and maybe not so small ways. Whatever the case, the truth is there's a part of each one of us that is willing to break the rules if it helps us get ahead. How much more would we be willing to break God's rules? We might give lip service to God when we say, in God we trust or were one nation under God, or, or even we say, I believe in God, but in reality, we are all enemies of God. And the thing is, it's not by accident that we are enemies of God. We intentionally daily choose to disobey the things that God tells us to do. We're ungodly. And we will never be right with God until we acknowledge that we're wrong with God and that God says we're ungodly. Now, this sounds really depressing, but in reality, this is perhaps the most liberating thing you will hear today or the rest of your life. Because when we acknowledge that we are ungodly, it puts every single person on the same playing field. You don't have to be like Mother Teresa and you don't have to be as bad as Joseph Stalin, Billy Graham and Harvey Weinstein. They all have the same chance before God criminals and judges you and me we all stand before god on the very same basis that we are ungodly people and we are in desperate need of forgiveness we're in desperate need of a savior and the only people the bible tells us that god makes right the only people that god says you are okay by me you can enter into my kingdom are ungodly people and unless and until we acknowledge that we are ungodly, we will not enter God's kingdom. Another characteristic of those whom God justifies is that God justifies the unworthy. God not only justifies the ungodly, God justifies the unworthy. Scripture tells us, and to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. Now this goes against everything we've been taught, doesn't it? It goes against everything I, I'm trying to teach uh, my children, right? They, every part of my being. From the earliest age, we teach our children and we, we're, we're taught this lesson. You get what you work for, right? You work hard, you get ahead. You study hard, you get the good grade, right? You, 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 you go, to, go to school and you, you, you buckle down and you, you, you get the good job. You get the good salary, you get what you work for, and that's how the world works. Imagine if you get your paycheck, and you run up to your boss, and you give him a big hug, and you're like, thank you so much, I'm so grateful for my paycheck. Your boss looks at you and says, it's not a gift, you worked for this. And, you know, in truth is, most of us are probably thinking, yeah, and I, and I deserve probably twice as much as this. But when you work for something, right, you get, you, you get what you get. But the principle that Scripture tells us here is God gives us something that we don't work for. God gives us something that, that no matter how hard we try, we would not get. It's a gift. It's, a, it's an act of grace. It's kindness. Notice he says, and the one who does not work. The gospel tells us that not only does God justify the ungodly, God also justifies the unworthy. This is crazy. That, that, that's the good news. You don't have to work your way into heaven. You don't have to work your way into God's good graces. You can't pull yourself up by your own bootstrap. And when we understand this, when we understand that the the, the essence of the gospel... That it is a simply a gift that God says, I want to give this to you. I, I, I don't want you to try to work for it. I don't want you to try to earn it. I'm just going to give it to you. I'm going to give you a relationship with my son, Jesus Christ. I'm going to give you forgiveness. I'm going to give you a purpose. I'm going to give you all of eternity in my kingdom. When we understand the type of person that God justifies is unworthy, we can receive the free gift that God freely gives. Now, some people, we get this part confused. Some of you, you were just baptized today and you're beginning your faith journey and you're thinking, well, now that I'm a Christian, I'm going to work really hard. I'm going to make sure my Heavenly Father is super pleased with me. I'm going to make sure I read all the scripture every day. I'm going to read the whole Bible in in a week. I'm going to memorize everything and I'm going to lead 50 people to Christ next week. And some of us were thinking, I got to please my Heavenly Dad. But God is saying you're not saved because of how hard you work. It's a gift that I give to you. it's It's a free gift. It's a grace and you can't earn it. It's because I love you. Imagine if you are about to propose and you go to a beautiful restaurant you eat this beautiful meal and you get down on your knee and you pull out this beautiful ring and you propose to the girl of your dreams and of course the girl looks at the ring and calculates the carrot the color color. i mean okay so some of you got that (laughs) and she's thinking this is a beautiful ring um what can i do for you How, how can i repay you can i wash your car how about, how about I wax it and I buff it and I make sure I vacuum the interior for you because I know you really like your car. You're on your knee, you're thinking, no, no I, just, I just want you to know that I love you. I just want you to know that I want to spend the rest of my life with you. You don't have to do anything. No, no, no. I know, I know. I'll uh, repaint your house. How about that? I'll make sure your house is a bright, shiny new color. It'll be the envy of your entire neighborhood. Sometimes we come to God when God gives us this free gift, and we say, "God, what can I do how can i how can I repay you for this?" And the truth is we really can 't The truth is the gospel liberates us and reminds us that we cannot work to get god 's approval because God justifies not only the ungodly, God also justifies the unworthy there 's still another There's still another aspect to uh, the types of people that God justifies that makes this such wonderful, crazy news. The third aspect of those that God justifies is that God justifies those who believe in Him. Now, this is very critical. This is where the rubber meets the road for, for many of us. God justifies the ungodly. God justifies the unworthy. But He also justifies but he only justifies those who believe in him. Some may be wondering, well, how can it be so? How can righteousness be so easily gained? There must be something I must do. There must be some higher standard I I must attain before I get into God's kingdom. Later on or earlier on in Romans chapter 4, The author of this letter he gives this illustration and he talks about this man named abraham and abraham is kind of like you know the forefather of the jewish nation you know we might consider like george washington one of our forefathers abraham's the the forefather of the jewish nation he's a man of great faith of great virtue god says abraham i want you to leave your family i want you to go far away and he says all right where are you gonna go i don't know and he just goes He, he just believes god And so when Paul, the author of this book, Romans, he talks about Abraham, he's bringing all this history. He says, Abraham, for if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does scripture say? Abraham believed God and it is counted to him as righteousness. And what Paul here is teaching us, what scripture is teaching us, if if a man like Abraham, who did everything right, who followed God to a faraway place was not justified by his work is justified by his faith then god will justify you and i by our faith but the question is what does it mean to have faith in god what does it mean to believe in god because the truth is you hear a lot of people say well it's my faith that kept me going You know, uh, you 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 watch movie award shows or music award shows, and they say, you know, what what made you what made you believe that you could do it? So, my faith, right? Or or sports, you know, when when uh, the Warriors will win their next championship in twenty years, Um, (laughs) they'll say, well, what kept you guys? we we had faith. We had faith in the big guy upstairs. You know, what does that mean? right theologians and scholars who talk about faith in god share that there are three components that are critical for a person to have faith in god the first com- first component of faith in god is you have to have faith in the right thing sometimes we say well as long as i have faith it doesn't really matter what i have faith in as long as my faith is strong right then then i have strong faith well what exactly do you have faith in? I'm not sure, but I have a lot of it. And what scholars tell us, what religious uh, theologians tell us is the first thing that we have to have when we have faith in God is we need to know the facts about God. We need to know the facts about Christ that we see through scripture. Faith is not bl- a blind leap into the unknown. And a lot of times people say, well, Christianity, you know, all these faith, it's just this uncertainty, unknowable, uh, something esoteric. And what scripture really teaches us is that faith is rooted in the facts of Jesus Christ. But it's not enough to simply know the truth. It's not simply enough to know the facts. We must also be convinced of its truthfulness. We must assent to it in our lives. A lot of times we hear these days, we hear... Uh, something called, and this is so weird because I never heard this word growing up, but we hear fake news. You guys heard the term fake news? You hear the news and you're like, I don't know, this might be fake, right? Was there really a fire in Paris? We don't know. Do you live in Paris? Like none of us, we just believe it's true, right? And, And so we don't know if the news that we're getting is true or not, and so we don't know if we should really believe it or not. But what faith involves is not only do we know that this is true, or not only do we know what scripture tells us, we have to believe that it is true. We believe that when when Bible tells us that Jesus Christ as God's only son came to this earth as a human to live a perfect life, and then he was tortured. He was tortured and then he was murdered. And then he was buried. And on the third day, he came alive again. We have to believe that this is true. These are facts that we believe is absolutely true. And finally, the third component of faith is that we need to put our trust in it. We need to stake our lives on it. And this is where the rubber meets the road. Are you willing to believe that if God says he is God, then that means you're not God. If God says he's the creator of the whole world, that means then you're not the creator of the whole world and that you need to do the things that he calls you to do. If God is God, and God is real, and God's word is true, then I better take his word for it, and do the things he tells me to do. The reality, because a lot of people come to you and say, well, faith, I don't know, I'm kind of like uncertain about faith. The reality is we practice faith every day. We don't realize it, but we do. We practice faith in some kind of way. Imagine you're told that you have a horrible disease. You have Cancer and it can only be removed by a surgeon cutting out the cancerous cells in your body. And you said, okay. So you're sitting in the hospital bed and there's every ounce of your being wants to be able to do something, right? You're just sitting there in your gown. You're like, what can I do to, to fix myself? If you could, you would give everything you have to remove the disease, but you can't. You just have to lie there, get sedated, As a surgeon goes to work on you to remove the disease. That's faith. You have to trust that the surgeon knows what they are doing. And if you know what it is to trust a doctor, you know what it is to trust in the work of God to remove sin. Suppose you're sick and a doctor prescribes you some medicine. And the doctor says, you know... Uh, you take this for a week and and you have to make sure you eat this with food and you know make sure you take this at the same time every day you go home, you open up the container it smells like grape, it kind of has this weird color you don 't know what 's in it right you didn't you didn 't do a a chemical assay on it just to to determine if the pharmacist really got it right, but you trust that the medicine will cure you. You trust that this doctor who you really don 't know knows what 's wrong with you. And you trust that this pharmacist, who you probably will never meet again, gave you the right medicine. So you open up the bottle, you you drink whatever you're supposed to drink, and you practice faith. In a similar way, God tells us that He will only justify those who put their faith in Him. If you know what it is to trust the medicine, you know what it is to trust in the blood of Jesus Christ. God justifies the ungodly. God justifies the unworthy. And He also justifies those who believe in Him. So here's the facts. And here's the, the story of Easter. There is a God who loves you so much that He wants to spend all of eternity with you. He wants you and Him to be in a relationship, not just after you die, but even starting right now. But there's a problem. See, you and I were, we're separated from God. There's this division between God and us. And that separation separation is caused by sin. This enmity that we have towards God. So God says, I'm going to send my son, Jesus Christ. And he's going to live this life that is pure and innocent. And he's going to obey me in everything I do. And he's going to pay the penalty for your sin. He's going to pay what you owe, what I owe to God. And if we believe that God will save us, if we put our faith that God will forgive our sins and he will raise us from the dead, then God will indeed save us. If we allow God to take control of our lives and say, God, you know, I I, I want you to be God of my life. I want you to be uh, the the general manager. of my. I'm tired of doing it all by myself. God says, I'm going to give you eternal life. I'm going to justify you. I'm going to make you right to be in a relationship with Him. And we'll be fully loved and fully known and we'll experience purpose and meaning and significance not by how hard we work but by a God who has already accomplished everything. And when you put your faith in Jesus Christ, when you put your faith knowing that Jesus Christ is God's Son, Jesus Christ came here to forgive your sins, Jesus Christ came here to give you eternal life, God takes a look at your account. And he, it's almost like Pastor Yuji talked about this a couple of weeks ago, or maybe last week. He says, it's almost as if your whole life is a video and all the good things, all the bad things, it's just, it's just out there for everyone to see. And God says, you know, you're guilty, but in my son, Jesus Christ, it's paid already. He takes a big stamp and just stamps paid in full. And you can be as sure of salvation as if you're there right now but this is not something that you just luck into this isn't something that you just come to church and it happens to you this is something that you have to decide it's not something that i can decide for you it's not something that your family or your friends can decide for you this is something that we each will stand before god and god will ask us did you put your faith in my son jesus christ because i gave you a way out i gave you a choice i gave you an option and if you're here today and you're like, hey, this sounds like something I want to do, I'm going to invite you to pray with me in just a minute. If you're here today and you, you've grown up in, in the church, maybe you got baptized today or you've been coming to church for a long time, and you're like, man, I guess I, I've been trying to work my, my way into God's good graces. It, let this be a reminder that we can't please God. Uh, we, we can't work our way into salvation. We can certainly please God, but we cannot earn our salvation. If you're here and you want to pray and ask God to enter into your life, all you got to do is talk to God. You know, God's always listening. You say, God, I'm a sinner. I I realize this. I I do the things that I don't want to do. I I do the things that I know you don't want me to do. I I, I think thoughts that I know you don't want me to think. I I say words I know you don't want me to say. And quite honestly, God, I, I really don't want anything to do with you. But I want that to change today. I want you to forgive me. I want you to justify me. I want you to make me right for you. And when you pray that prayer, it's not like some magical incantation. It is the beginning of a lifelong journey that you have with Jesus Christ. And if you pray that prayer, I encourage you, tell somebody, share with somebody, because that is the greatest news that you will ever experience for the rest of your life. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we do thank you, God. For the great news that is Easter, that you have conquered sin and you have conquered death and you've given us hope, you've given us life. And Father, I pray for those individuals here who maybe are wrestling with faith, wrestling with what it means to follow you, wrestling with what it means to be justified and to accept the great news of your salvation. I pray, God, Lord, that you would be doing something in their hearts. And I pray for those who decided today to make a decision to follow you. God, would you continue in them the work that you have started? I pray that you would grow in them a spirit of love and of joy and peace, that your Holy Spirit would take control of their lives as they submit their wills to yours. I pray these things in your son's name. Amen.
1: Um, so take your time um, to reflect. Uh, and uh, join us when you're ready.